Hi again. Let's get into God's Word. You can see your outline there in front of you for where we're going, and lots of our verses will show up on the screen. But let's pray again. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the many blessings we enjoy in this life. We thank you for health. But for those of us struggling with health at the moment, give us strength, and I pray that you give me strength in my voice now to be able to proclaim uh, your word. And please, Lord, work in our hearts uh, so that we might be self-controlled for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our world has kind of this love-hate relationship with self-control. Have you, have you noticed this before? Uh, see, on the one hand, people say freedom matters most. It's all about self-fulfillment. There's catchphrases like be yourself, be true to yourself, you do you, look after number one. Uh, but then at the same time, they say, oh, but don't be a jerk uh, and don't, don't hurt people and you have to do this for your family or you can't be yourself in your workplace. You've got to be a team player. Come on. Uh, So in one sense, they say one thing and then the total opposite. Uh, In in another way, our world with one breath says, do what you want, when you want, want, eat what you want, drink what you want, spend your day day off however you want. But then they also say, oh, but you have to care about your diet. Like you've got to look after yourself. You've got to do exercise. You've got to be disciplined. To be happy and successful, you have to do these things. And so our world swings between self-control, who needs it? Two, self-control is everything. Discipline is everything. So when do you you be self-controlled? I can't can't really decide, according to the messages of our world. Uh, When do you be self-controlled? Well, it seems the only real answer the world has is when it's good for you. When it's good for you, be self-controlled. It's actually self-interested self-control. Or maybe, you know, just avoid really harming someone, but otherwise be self-controlled only when it's good for you. For you. But the message of that is, it's really clear, isn't it? Love yourself first. Love yourself more than others. What a horrible world we live in when you think about that. And how horrible are our sinful hearts that we naturally think like that. So we're up to our last week in the series, Respectable Sins, Neglected Virtues. We're thinking about self-control. We're thinking about the lack of self-control. Uh, but even though it's our last week, well, we have to go all the way back and remember our first week. Uh, because these sermons that we've been giving these last five or six weeks, they're not just nice advice for being a little bit better in life. Uh, they're not about being successful and happy. So if you're here, you've been here, uh, or you're here today, and you're not a Christian, you, you don't love and trust in Jesus then you might like some of the sound of the things that we say in these sermons over these weeks. You might think, hey, I'm going to try that out. You know, that technique sounds helpful for stopping grumbling and being content. Uh, I'm going to take that on board for my life. But if that's you, by all means, take what you like uh, from what you hear. But I want to say to you, that's not what these weeks have been about. See, these sermons have not been about self-improvement. These sermons have been about repentance. They've been about turning away from the so-called acceptable sins and turning to Jesus. See, the way we deal with sin, big or small, is not to try and be better, but we turn to Jesus and admit to him that we can't be better, that we are helpless and hopeless without him, without him dying for our sin, without him rising to justify us, to make us righteous. And we're not saying, please hear this, we're not saying in these weeks That these good or virtuous things, if you do them, then God will like you more because you're being religious or kind or whatever it is. 
we have to remember the first week in our series. The starting point for dealing with sin and every point of dealing with sin is grace. It's the love of God that you can't earn. He simply gives it. See, it's all about God's grace. It's turning to Jesus in faith to accept the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, justification, eternal life, his Holy Spirit, all those things and much more. And it's then and only then, as a child of God, as a new person in Christ, it's then that you work to put off sin and to put on godliness with the help of God's Spirit living in you. So if you're not a Christian here today, don't take the practical advice from these talks. Don't try to have less vices and more virtues. Take this advice. Turn to Jesus. Hand your whole life over to him. He's the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of you. And he loves those who come to him in repentance and faith. Become a follower of Jesus. Get that right first. And then these things you can work into your life out of love for him, out of concern for his glory. But even if you are a Christian, if you have been forgiven by God, always remember, never forget God's overflowing and abundant grace. I've heard it put like this, the only sin we can actually do something about is forgiven sin. You can't fix or change sin on your own. It's only when you realize that your sin is forgiven that you are free to put it off. It's only as you trust in Christ and your sin is forgiven, he paid for it at the cross, so then you can bring it out of the light, bring it out into the light, out of the darkness. Don't try to hide it from him. Bring it to him and only then can you do something about it. Can you put it off with his help and strength? That's the starting point and every other point grace. That's enough of a recap. For the rest of our time, let's focus on the topic of today, self-control. So have a look at your outline for where we're going. We're going to get to the neglected virtue of self-control soon. But as we've been doing each week, uh, we first delve into the respectable sin. We dig into it. We, We work out what it is, what's behind it. Why do we do it? So let's think about this first sin, the sin of a lack of self-control. What is the sin of a lack of self-control? Now, often when we talk about being self-controlled or not, what are we talking about? Or what are people in our world talking about when they say, I'm not being very self-controlled this week? What do we mean? We mean, I ate too many pieces of pizza and now I have a stomachache. Or we mean, I'm on a diet but I just couldn't help it. I had to have that piece of cake or that chocolate biscuit. Uh, Or we mean, I stay up too late watching TV or scrolling on my phone Uh, Or we mean, I just keep hitting snooze in the morning instead of getting up and getting ready or exercising. Or we mean, yeah, I'm meant to be working, I'm meant to be studying, but I just keep procrastinating and dragging it out. See, that's often what we mean when we talk about self-control, being ill-disciplined, having bad habits, uh, little bad habits that uh, we make in life, and then we suffer the consequences for them. Now, it's not like these things are totally unimportant. Uh, Diet, exercise, sleep, time management, uh, they all have their place and a wise and godly Christian will think about all of them and try to make godly decisions. But different Christians will make different decisions about this and that's okay. Uh, What matters more is why you make those decisions and our motivations matter before God even in those small decisions. But that's not what we're talking about today uh, so much. It's not a sin in and of itself to give in to the urge and eat another chocolate biscuit. 
Uh, If it is, then I'm the worst sinner in this room because I love chocolate biscuits. Now instead, when the Bible talks about self-control or a lack of self-control, it's not talking about being healthy or unhealthy. It's not talking about being successful or being a bit hopeless. It's not talking about those things. It's talking about sin and godliness. It's talking about honouring God or dishonouring him. It's talking about giving in to sinful desires and their serious consequences, eternal consequences. So let's just have a look at a few passages now that talk about that. We can trivialise self-control, but listen to how seriously God takes it. Look at 2 Timothy 3 on the screens. Paul says, But know this, difficult times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control. You see how lack of self-control, it sits alongside all those other sins. And you see how a lot of those sins are actually come from a lack of self-control. People commit these sins when they don't control or restrain themselves. And so Paul goes on with his list. He says some of the same things. He says people will be brutal without a love for what is good, traitors, reckless, that's a lack of self-control, that's making rash decisions that impact others, conceited, lovers of pleasure, indulging your desires, not controlling them, uh, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. See, the lack of self-control is a serious sin along with all the others. Or, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans, what unbelievers, choose to do, carry on in unrestrained behavior, no self-control, evil desires, drunkenness, a lack of self-control with alcohol, orgies, carousing, that's a lack of controlling your sexual desire, and lawless idolatry. He goes on, So they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living. That's just the description of no self-control, isn't it? We could go on and on with other lists in the Bible. In Galatians 5, Paul says, Strife and outbursts of anger are sin. It's not controlling uh, your anger. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about thieves, greedy people, verbally abusive people. All those sins are a lack of self-control. They're giving in to sinful desires, to steal, to covet, to tear others down with words. And on the flip side to these passages, well, self-control in Galatians 5 is a virtue. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that he produces in us. And we're going to get to that. But all of this, it starts to reveal a bit of a definition of this sin. See, what is the lack of self-control? It's when we give in to our desires. It's when we let our desires go and give them the free reign that they want to have. It's when we don't stop and consider our desires and whether this or that desire is good or bad or whether it's going to impact others or not, whether it's going to have good or bad results. You look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He's talking about what we're like before we know Jesus. He says, We too all previously lived among them, unbelievers, in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. Or look at James 1. James is talking about all people, Christian or not. And he says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own sinful desires, evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. The lack of self-control 
not controlling your desires. Is that, that's what it is. Your wants and emotions, your affections, it's letting them run wild. Letting them go wherever they want, instead of holding them back for some good reason. And I think this happens in two different ways. See, I hinted at it before. The first is that there are good desires and there are bad desires. If we dig a bit deeper, the thing we have to realize about our desires is that there are desires that are good and that there are desires that are evil. There are good desires. We have natural, physical desires. Hunger is a good and right desire to eat. Uh, Being tired and wanting sleep, that's good, even though it doesn't feel good. Uh, Emotional desires, we, we want to be loved, we want to love others. They are good desires to have, that is how God has made us. But then there are evil desires, ways God has designed us not to live. The desire for drunkenness is an evil desire. Coveting or wanting to take something that's not yours, that's a wrong desire. The desire to harm someone or tear them down with your spiteful words, it's an evil desire. And when we don't control those desires, well, we fall into Sin, a lack of self-control. So we can be unself-controlled. I've just made up that word. Unself- we can be unself-controlled with evil desires. We desire something that's sinful. We don't restrain ourselves and we just go for it. We give in. That's the more obvious struggle with a lack of self-control. But it can also be more subtle than that. Because it's also possible to be unself-controlled. We can also lack self-control with good desires. We can be hungry. Think of this. We can be hungry and desire food. That's a good and right desire. It's how God made us. But we can desire the food and then be irritable. We can be hungry and angry, which is hangry. That's the word that's been given to that. Uh, And we don't control that good desire to eat, and so we snap at people. Or we push in front of them in line. Or we eat more than our fair share and others go without. And so even a good desire, if we don't control it, can become sin, can lead to sin. Do you see how that works? How uncontrol- being unself-controlled in both of those ways. On the one hand, there's outright evil desires. On the other hand, there's not controlling good desires. And so it impacts others negatively. And now we're starting to dig a little bit deeper again. Now we start to see the heart of this sin reveal itself. See, this sin, this lack of self-control... It's when we don't control our desires, when we give in to them, and then it affects others for the worse. You see that? What is a lack of self-control? What is it at its heart? It's a love of self. It's a love of self and it's a lack of love for God and or a lack of love for others. It actually has to do with the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And a lack of self-control is when we choose to love ourselves over God, over others. It's loving yourself more than loving God and others, so you're not willing to control your desires for their sake. The lack of self-control is really just selfishness. It's being self-focused and ignoring God, ignoring others, and doing what you want. It's not putting God in his rightful place. It's not putting him first. And it's not putting others where God calls us to put them above ourselves. Don't the scriptures say, don't look only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. 
So it should be God, others, yourself, but a lack of self-control says, me above God, me above others. I would rather fulfill my desires than control and curb them and hold them back for the sake of others. And I think we see this really clearly in our Old Testament reading. Maybe if we work through a few examples, this will make more sense. The first one is in 2 Samuel 11 that we read before. See, last week, Phil showed us the aftermath of this story uh, when Nathan the prophet confronted David, but this is what he was confronting him about. Uh, 2 Samuel 11 is the story of what David actually did. And the story starts in the spring when kings march out to war. So first of all, David, he's meant to be with his men fighting battles, but instead he's at home in his palace. Why? Maybe it was the desire for comfort, for safety, for ease that he was giving into. Instead of loving his people as their king, fighting for them, he was serving himself, relaxing at home. But then what happens? While he's strolling around his palace balcony, he sees a woman, a very beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. His sexual desire is stirred, and so what does he do? Instead of being self-controlled, instead of controlling his desire, instead of loving God and putting him first and obeying his command, do not commit adultery, instead of loving this woman and not lusting for objectifying her, instead of loving her husband and not taking what belongs to him, well, he sends for her and they sleep together. His desire wins out. He gives in to his own pleasure. He loves himself instead of loving God and loving others. And then it only gets worse from there because to cover his tracks, maybe a desire not to lose reputation or get in trouble, his desire to be secure makes him murder Bathsheba's husband. And if that's not a lack of self-control, a lack of love for God and others, I don't know what is. And we can do the same, think about the same way with any other example of a lack of self-control. So think again about drunkenness, not controlling your use of alcohol. The alcohol in and of itself is not evil. It is a substance God has given us to use, to enjoy wisely, carefully. But if for whatever reason someone desires alcohol, they desire the taste or the feeling that alcohol gives, or they want to fit in with their peers, or they want to dull the pain of their struggles. Now, There's many reasons, some okay and some not okay, that someone might desire and want to drink. But instead of that controlling that desire and either not drinking at all or, if it's an okay desire, stopping at one or two drinks or just finding another more constructive way to deal with that desire, instead of that, a person gives in and just keeps drinking. And before long, they've put themselves before God. They haven't loved God and obeyed his word. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to reckless actions. And they've loved themselves and chased whatever selfish desire for drinking. And chances are, in the process, they haven't loved others either. Because drunkenness is a pretty surefire way to impact others negatively and selfishly. Or another example. It's pretty easy to see how this works, plays out with anger or frustration. When we feel angry or frustrated, how easy is it not to control the anger and the frustration? We might even have a good reason to be upset, but what do we do with that? Well, instead of controlling that anger, that frustration, dealing with it, putting it into it there, we grumble against God. Thought about that the other week. We don't love God. Or we don't love others. We lash out with our words to say mean, spiteful things to tear people down. We thought about our tongue the other week as well, didn't we? See, instead, we love ourselves. We we vent. We overflow onto people with our words and our anger. And we indulge in whatever feeling that gives us. 
we tear people down. See how that works. The lack of self-control is a love of self and a lack of love for God and others. It's selfishness that hurts and impacts others. We give in to those desires. We hurt others instead of holding ourselves back, restraining those desires, whether they're good or bad desires, for the sake of God and for the sake of others. And so now we've already started to cross over into the opposite of this, the virtue. If Jesus has died for the sin of a lack of self-control, and if he's risen so that we can walk in a new life, and if he has defeated sin, the death, and the devil, if he calls us to repent, turn to him, if we need to, then we need to put on the virtue of self-control. So what is self-control? It's the very opposite of what we've been seeing. See, if a lack of self-control is a lack of love for God and others, then self-control comes from, and it is, Love for God. Love for others. It's putting God first. It's putting, God, it's putting others above yourself. That's the heart of self-control. It's controlling those desires, whether good or bad desires, for the sake of God, for the sake of others. And if we keep digging, if we just think a little bit more, we realize behind and alongside these virtues, there are other great virtues. Virtues like humility, where you lower yourself before God, and make others more important than yourself. Virtues like self-discipline, where we train ourselves in self-control over time so that we can live an other-person-centered life. And isn't this what generosity is? I constrain myself, I give up my wants, even my needs, even my rights, for the sake of others, for their good, and I give. Self-control out of love for God and for others. And I've just... I've just been amazed, I want to share this with you, I've just been amazed this week how the scriptures show this, and it's just all over the place. Self-control out of love of God and love for others. So in 1 Corinthians 6, here's a few examples. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is talking about sexual immorality. We don't have time to go into all the context, but he's quoting them, and then he answers their logic. They say, everything is permissible for me, but Paul says, not everything is helpful Everything is permissible for me, but Paul says, I will not be brought under control of anything. I will be self-controlled and control my desires to be helpful. Later he says, uh, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Be self-controlled out of love for God. Or look at Galatians 5. I find this so striking and so compelling. He says, for you were called to be free, brothers, free from sin through Jesus. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, sinful desire, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Though you are free, constrain yourself out of love for others. Serve them. Or think of some of Jesus' more famous words. Look at Matthew 16 on the screens. Uh, Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Deny what I want. Die to myself and my desires and do what Jesus wants. Love him. Or think of the example of Jesus the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, in distress before the cross. What did he say? Not my will, but your will, Father. The Son loved the Father and submitted his desires to his Father in heaven. Or Galatians 2, that wonderful truth, Jesus controlled his desire, his want, 
so that he might love me and give his life for me. I just want to share this moment of revelation that I had as I saw the scriptures. And it all came together for me in 1 Corinthians 9, our New Testament reading. I wonder if you noticed this, the opposite of David and Paul, as we read 1 Corinthians 9. Listen to what he says. He says, Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, Jesus has set me free, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He goes on and he lists out all those things. I try to be all things to all men. I try to be like each person so that I can win them for Christ. I control my desires, my wants. I even give up my needs and my rights for the sake of others so that they might hear the gospel and be one for Christ. And he compares himself to a runner who exercises self-discipline, self-control in everything, ready to win the race, and he says, it's the same for me. I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that he and his hearers will be saved on the last day. And then, a chapter later, he kind of puts it all together and says it again like this. This is the attitude we're to have when it comes to self-control and all of life. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink, good desires, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Love him. And also, give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Love people. He shares his example. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see what he's saying? He's, he's saying, control your desires, your wants, for the sake of God and others. Do what I do, he says, because I'm copying what Jesus did. That's what he did to the end, loving God and loving people. I'm just amazed by this. I don't know if you are, but I'm just amazed by how that just permeates all the scriptures. I thought I knew self-control was important. I didn't realize just how it permeates the scriptures and how vital it is to godliness and a life living out the gospel. It makes me not want to put up with this respectable sin, a lack of self-control. It makes me want to grow and foster this virtue, self-control for God's glory, and for the good of others. So how do we do that? What do we do? How do we deal with this respectable sin, a lack of self-control before God in our lives? How do we grow in this neglected virtue, self-control out of love? Well, as with other sins, I think we can grow in self-control in two ways, in proactively and reactively. So first, proactively, part of dealing with this sin and this virtue is doing what we do with any other sin. We use, I'm repeating myself again from a few weeks ago, we use God's word, prayer, and fellowship. When we want to grow, we use the gifts God has given us and we use them proactively. You know, you steep your minds in the scriptures that we've heard today and grow in those attitudes of love and self-control. And it's good to do that with specific areas of self-control as well. Fill your mind with what the scriptures say about God's good design for sex, or about how he wants us to be at peace and not arguing, or whatever it is. Target those areas of self-control with the scriptures. And when we notice we're not being self-controlled in some area, well, we can confess it to God in prayer, that's prayer, and know his forgiveness that's promised in his word. So the word and prayer keep doing their work. 
And remember, I said it before, the only sin that can be properly dealt with is forgiven sin. So bring it to the God who loves you and who welcomes the sinner. I should say, it's important to say, that if there's a lack of self-control that is secret in someone's life, then that makes this point all the more important, the word prayer and fellowship. Because if you have a secret sin of, of watching pornography, for example, or a secret sin of drunkenness or whatever it is, whatever lack of self-control that it might be, that no one else knows about it except God, of course, well then confessing it and bringing it to Jesus is all the more important. And bringing it out of the darkness and into the light is vital. And usually, just practically, what you need to do is share it with a brother or sister in Christ in order to do that. Yes, as you confess your sin to God, he forgives, but sometimes to properly confess it and mean it in your heart, you need to tell a brother or sister in Christ. And you need to hear from them that you are forgiven if you confess it and repent and turn to Jesus. We need the fellow Christian to tell us that. Because otherwise, we just never deal with it properly. We accept it, we keep it secret, or we wallow in guilt paralysis until we hear someone encourage us about forgiveness on that issue, until we hear encouragement from a brother or sister in Christ. And of course, we need prayer. And I think with this sin in particular, and this virtue, it's a big one. See, we pray that God would change our desires and that he would strengthen our wills to be self-controlled because that's the very business that he is in. That's the work he does in our hearts. That's why he saved us. So look at Philippians 2 on the screen. Paul says, Work out or live out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. See, God's job description is to shape and change your desires by his spirit in you. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. That's what this says. It says, We are being transformed into the same image, Jesus, from glory to glory, ever-increasing godliness. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, God works self-control in us by his Spirit. So pray. Pray that he would change our desires and do the work he said he will do in our hearts. So grow proactively with self-control in self-control, with the word prayer and fellowship. But as with other weeks, it's helpful to have a bit of a method to deal with this sin reactively, when it comes up in the moment. Uh, See, we can grow in self-control as we grill our desires. I'm not talking about a steak cooking on the barbecue, sizzling and letting off the beautiful aroma so that your desire to eat it is awakened, as good as that is. It's a good desire to enjoy food. Not talking about that. What I'm saying is, as we notice our actions and our attitudes, and we think they're not self-controlled, we we start to ask, why? We grill our desires. What is going on for me right now in my heart? We start to to question and cross-examine and interrogate what we're wanting and seeking in that moment. What is my heart going after here? You stop and ask yourself, is this desire a good or an evil desire? Is it sinful? If it's sinful, the answer is simple. Stop. Flee sexual immorality, Paul says. Do not get drunk on wine, Paul says. In your anger, do not sin. Uh, Let no foul language come out of your mouth. The scriptures are clear. Stop and get out of there. Rely on God's strength. Choose to love him. Choose to love others. And stop. 
But if it's not an outright sinful desire, and you're, you're questioning those desires, and you're just, or you're just not sure, then keep probing. Ask yourself, if I do this, am I loving God or loving people or not? How does it affect them? Am I seeking their good and what's best for others, not myself in this moment? And if you probe your heart and if you question your desires, then the answers will tell you what you should do or not do in that moment. Because God is at work to change and shape our desires as we work with him to grow in holiness and godliness and this virtue of self-control. And as we do it for his glory, to love him, and as we do it to love others and for the good of those around us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so challenged by the pointiness of your word as it comes to this respectable sin, and we are so encouraged as well to know that you have done everything that we need so that we might bring our sin to you and be transformed into the image of Jesus, growing more and more like him as the one who laid down his life for others. Father, please do this good work in our hearts and minds. Grow us in self-control, we pray. We pray. Fill our minds and hearts with your word. Help us to cry out to you, asking that you would change our desires. And please, Lord, in the moment, help us to choose to love you and to love others and control those desires that would lead to this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.